Good morning. Thank you, Mary Ellen, for the beautiful rendition of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Ransom captive Israel. That's what we're going to talk about this morning in Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah wrote to a captive Israel who was enslaved in bondage to the Babylonians. Let's read this uh, passage together in Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 14. God gives the people some hope in the midst of their captivity. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Jacob. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness, or the Lord our righteous Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending your one and only Son to this earth as a baby to live out his life in a righteous way, bringing peace and hope to this world. And ultimately to die on the cross for the atonement of our sins and to be raised three days later for victory over sin and death. And as we study this morning, we pray that you'll just guide and lead this conversation. Teach us your ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My apologies, I think I was supposed to dismiss the kids, but it looks like they've already been dismissed. So I messed up my one job, Char, one job. Uh, my wife and I, we're really into uh, puzzles, Jessica a little bit more than I am. She's uh, pretty, pretty good at it, if you ask me. There's just something about putting pieces of a puzzle to create a beautiful picture. You know, it's really difficult at the beginning Everything seems so chaotic, right? But as those pieces come together, the picture begins to take form, to take life. We have a chaotic situation in Israel, the time of Jeremiah's preaching. He paints his community a, a much-needed picture of hope in the middle of chaos, Jeremiah was actually preaching uh, while he was in prison. He was put in prison because he preached to the destruction of Jerusalem, which did happen according to the will of God. The people didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that their sins had led them to that place. They didn't want to hear that God was trying to get their attention to bring them back to him. And therefore, in the middle of this chaos, Jeremiah offers us hope. These pieces of hope were difficult for the people of Israel to understand in the middle of that chaos. We, however, have a bird's eye view 
a better view of how those pieces have been put in place. And I believe that the pieces of this puzzle will give us hope even today. So if you want to follow along your notes, I'm going to give you a few puzzle pieces to give us hope for today. The first one being this gracious promise that he spoke about. You know, the gracious promise doesn't really come natural to us as we read the Old Testament because the gracious promise was given so long ago. Jeremiah is saying that in the days coming, God will fulfill his promise to his people. And that promise was that they would always have a David on the throne. The promise is actually found in 2 Samuel 7.16 when God promises David this, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So how does this established throne of David endure the Babylonian captivity that the Israelites were now beginning to face during the days of Jeremiah? The answer, of course, from a bird's eye view is Jesus Christ. Joseph, uh, Jesus' earthly father and the husband of Mary, was a descendant of David and a fulfillment of this promise while he was here on earth. Many wanted to make him king there of earth. In fact, if you remember, Satan even tempted Jesus. said, you could have this whole kingdom here on earth. But up until his death, even, he still proclaimed to the governors, to the leadership of Israel, that my kingdom is not of this earth, but my kingdom is a heavenly one that has always been and always will be. That is the precious, the gracious promise that Jeremiah gives the people of Israel. And this conversation is important because of how poorly the descendants of David had done in managing Israel. Most of the kings who followed in the line of David were greedy, godless, hateful human beings who've done a horrible job of creating the community of God that Moses intended. They were people of injustice who relied on man-made idols. Jesus, on the other hand, was a complete opposite. He lived a simple and selfless life. He loved both Jews and Gentiles. He brought communities together, created an incredible community in the church, right? He was full of justice and righteousness. And therefore, this promise found in today's passage was gracious because Israel had never had such purity and goodness. It was a small sample of what this world could look like if we could just model our lives after him. The second piece of the puzzle is right here when he says, I will make a 
righteous branch sprout from David's line. In those days and times, he's talking about, right? In those days and times. You know, Jeremiah is preaching the destruction of Jerusalem. He's preaching about a desert, a desolate place. A destruction of Jerusalem was inevitable. The people should picture a hot, dry, deserted place in their minds. And then they should picture that sprout. Right in the middle of everything that is void of life, there's that little sprout, that little glimmer of hope of new life to a desolate people. This righteous branch, this tiny little sprout was, of course, Jesus Christ who provided life in a desert place. What do we know about deserts? We get thirsty, right? You remember Jesus talking about that? He provides a living water metaphor once of how his people will never thirst again. He is that sprout. That, of course, is found in John chapter 4. Let's read that encounter together. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me something to drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for drink? And John explains that, you know, Jews didn't associate with uh, Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, listen, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, a sprout in a desert place. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us a well, drank from it himself? As to the sons and livestock, and Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that is some hope, my friends. A small puzzle piece of hope of water that will quench the thirst forever. He is our life in the midst of a desert place. And so, Jeremiah gives us this puzzle piece of a king who will uh, do what's right, who's righteous and good. He gives us this puzzle piece of a king, uh, of a sprout that brings Life, and then he says this odd thing here in verse 16. It says, in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which 
uh, the, 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 it's a feminine noun here. It should be she will be called because it's talking about Jerusalem. The Lord our righteous. That, that Jerusalem will be called the Lord our righteousness. So Jerusalem is righteous? Now let's be clear. There is nothing right or good about Jerusalem. Keep in mind, Jeremiah is literally in prison because the leadership of Jerusalem has put him in there for unjust reasons. Babylon is about to destroy the temple and the city. The leadership of Jerusalem believe that because it's Jerusalem, because the temple is there, they're going to be safe. I believe the promise that God has here and what he has in mind is a new Jerusalem. A new kingdom here on earth. Might I say, he might be talking about the church. Which helps us understand the context when Jesus has that famous conversation with Peter. When he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. It's not Peter that he's going to build his church. It's the statement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, in which his church will be built and established forever. And the church becomes a very important place for righteousness, for justice, for goodness. At least that's how it was intended. That's how it was intended. Two weeks ago, I had an opportunity to speak at Emerald Youth for the teenagers there. It was uh, quite a task. I'm not used to speaking to teenagers, but I gave it my best shot. And I talked about Joshua. Joshua is a really neat story in the Bible. Joshua is very similar to Jeremiah. One of the most famous passages in Joshua is in the first chapter. It's when God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, right? You guys have heard that. To be strong and courageous. The Lord your God will go before you. Many times in just that first chapter, he says be strong and courageous. You may have been to a Christian bookstore and seen those beautiful paintings, right, with those words underneath, to be strong and courageous. You may have heard sermons on being strong and courageous, and maybe you yourself have been encouraged and when you face trials or temptations, maybe you've been encouraged to be strong and courageous. But as I explored that passage, what I learned was that God's encouragement was not just in the face of difficulty to be strong and courageous. But he tells Joshua to be strong and courageous twice in Joshua chapter 1. The first time, he says, be strong and courageous as he's going to war. He's about to 
move into Canaan, and they're not going to let them just take it for free. So be strong and courageous. I think we can take that and say, yes, Lord, as I face trials, as I face temptations, as I face what this world throws at me, I'm going to be strong and courageous because of your power. But the second time he says it, he says, be strong and very courageous because you need to follow the laws that I gave Moses. That's odd to me. That's really odd to me. Because when I think about being strong and courageous, I think about going to war. The bravest, the strongest, the most courageous. But God tells Joshua to be strong and very courageous in creating this community that is going to be a community of justice and love, and a community that relies on each other, a community that's going to look completely different, right? A Jerusalem that is righteous is what God intended for Israel. And so when Jeremiah says that there is a Jerusalem that will be righteous, that's you and I. And just like the people of Israel, we have misused the church as a place of judgment, of hate, as a place of turning people away because they don't look or act or say a certain way. That's not righteous injustice. And so the puzzle piece that I believe that we can apply today is the church being called the Lord our righteousness, the Lord our Savior. A place where community can do what is right and good, standing for truth when the world is full of lies. We should care for the lowly as the world takes advantage of the poor. This puzzle piece is hope because the people of God were experiencing a Jerusalem that was not righteous. Therefore, we can look at it in the same way. In the times that we see the church not being righteous. Now, as we put these puzzle pieces together, we have a Jesus who is a good and righteous king. We have a kingdom that sprouts from the middle of a desert. That is Jesus when he was born. And now we have hope and new life that exists in the world, uh, exists in the church as it spreads hope and peace and love in this world. And it's for that reason that Jesus came to earth as a baby. And it's for that reason that God left his throne. I love the next song that we're going to sing. And I want us to reflect on this song as we move into our time of communion. The chorus goes like this. How many kings stepped down from their thrones? And how many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? And how many fathers gave up their sons 
for me. That's a beautiful piece of a puzzle of hope in this world. And today as we celebrate around the table, can we reflect on this picture of hope given in the birth of Jesus Christ? Let's reflect on the new covenant sealed in blood for the salvation of our souls. Let's reflect on the resurrection and new life given to us. Let's reflect this morning on Jesus. As we sing this next song, I invite you to go to one of our three communion stations. There's two cups in each uh, uh, of the trays. You can take uh, the two cups together. On the bottom is the bread and on the top is the juice. And take it back to your seat as we reflect, as we sing, as we worship. And then uh, we'll uh, take that communion together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that you gave up your throne, that you sent your only son here to the earth, that you allowed him to die for our sins. And I pray, Father, as we, uh, as we celebrate this morning and as we reflect, I pray, Lord, that you will transform our hearts and minds to be more like you. I pray, Father, that it will transform the way we live in this world and give us hope as we face uh, life from day to day. Father, thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.